Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We return to our summer sermon series, Acts, the Gospel Engages the World, with this sermon on witnessing. In order to understand what witnessing is, we look at three examples of what witness is not. You're listening to You Shall Be My Witnesses by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, I will read verses 1 through 11. This is my uh, our fifth sermon in the Acts series, but I'm finally only now getting to chapter 1, and that's because, as you will remember, this sermon series is not chronological. Throughout the summer, I'm preaching on Acts, we are preaching on Acts, but we're trying to focus on big themes in Acts. Now, that doesn't mean chronological reading is not important. It is, but we're encouraging you to do that in your personal devotions or on your own sometime, to read through the book, read through it multiple times, and hopefully some of these themes that we're giving you in these sermons will enrich your reading. So today's theme is the theme, as we've already heard, of witness. Listen. In my former book, Theophilus, and the former book is, of course, the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So in this passage, Jesus identifies one of the central tasks of the church, one of the central things, and when we're baptized into Christ, it becomes part of who we are. He calls us to witnesses. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. I'm a witness. You're a witness. We are witnesses. And what does this mean? What precisely is Jesus calling us to here? Now, to get at the answer to that question, I'm going to have three points today. But I want to do it in a kind of a via negativa, which means in order to tell you what wisdom, what what witness is, I'm going to tell you what witness is not. 
okay? So three things witness is not in order to communicate to you what witness is. First, witness is not the task that the disciples were expecting and the task the disciples wanted. And I think we see this pretty clearly in verse 6. What was the mood of the disciples at the beginning of the book of Acts? What kind of frame of mind do you think they were in? I think it's fair to say my impression is that they were feeling pretty good about their place in the world. I think they were feeling um, pretty, pretty powerful. I think they had a little bounce in their step. And why wouldn't they, right? Their master, the one to whom they had hitched their star, had risen from the dead, right? He'd shown that he was more powerful than anything on earth, more powerful even than death. And he'd said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Their master had all power. And then their master said, I'm going to share that power with you. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, he tells him, you stay in Jerusalem and you will be clothed with power from on high. You will get power. So they're thinking, our Lord is all-powerful. We're going to be clothed with power from on high. This is great. I think that the disciples at this point felt like a sports team who just won the championship. And in verse 6, they are looking for their championship parade through the streets of Jerusalem. Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, are we finally going to get to share your power and sit on thrones? Now, we know we messed things up earlier. And we used to argue about who was the greatest. And we used to ask to sit on your right and your left when you come into power. We know we got that wrong. We didn't understand about the crucifixion. We're sorry about that, but Jesus... Now that that messy crucifixion is over and you've been raised, now do we get the thrones? Now do we come into your power? Now do we get to rule in Jerusalem? At this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel, huh? No, says Jesus. Stay in Jerusalem. You will be clothed with power by the Holy Spirit, but your power will be not the conventional kind that will put you on some kind of throne. You will be powerful to be my witnesses. You are witnesses. This fundamental misunderstanding that the disciples have about their role in the world, between what a kingdom is and what their role in that kingdom is, is something that the church absolutely still struggles with today and has struggled with throughout our history. For many Christians, and I've fallen victim to this too, our understanding of what it means to bring God's kingdom in this world and what it means to acknowledge King Jesus, we have this sort of default imagination is that we need to find social power. We need to find power in cultural and social institutions, whether that's politics or science or academics or the arts. We need to become influential in those areas. And then once we become influential in those areas, we'll be able to use that power to bring the kingdom. Sounds great. But when you hear what Jesus says in this passage, and when you watch what the church does in the book of Acts, when it comes into contact with institutions of social power, it's something very different. 
The people of God are not trying to grab social power in the cultural institutions of their day in the book of Acts. They're not trying to win the streets of Rome. They're not trying to win the streets of Jerusalem and rise to places of influence in those two towns. They're not trying to take over the Roman legislature. They're not trying to take over the Roman government. Now, they engage those institutions. Absolutely. We heard about that in the sermon I preached three weeks ago. Remember Paul standing in front of Agrippa and Festus, Governor Festus and King Agrippa? He confronted the court of that political power. And throughout the book of Acts, as I said in that sermon, you see the people of God going to places of cultural power and confronting those places. Academics in the Areopagus and Acts, religious power in the Sanhedrin, and political power with Festus and Agrippa in other places too. So you see the church coming into these political places, but when it comes there, it's not trying to overthrow them. It's not trying to work a clue. It's not trying to get on the throne. The power they bring to those places is the power of witness. They stand in those places of authority and they, pro to the, they point to the true authority, the true king. And they say, Jesus is king. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the risen one. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And so you ought to repent and give your life to King Jesus and bow the knee before him. We are not, as Christians, as a church, first of all, political and cultural activists. We are witnesses. Now, that doesn't mean that the New Testament is apolitical. That has nothing to say to the word of politics. That's clearly not the case. In the time of the Gospels, Caesar made a claim, I am Lord, Caesar is Lord, and Caesar wanted to be worshipped. The disciples come along and they say, no, Jesus is Lord, and he alone should be worshipped. Those two claims are bound to come into conflict, and they do. In Acts 17... Paul goes to Thessalonica along with Silas and he preaches the gospel there. He does what he always does. He goes into the synagogue and he stands up and he proclaims the true king. He says, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. He tells the gospel. But over time, that starts to create an uproar in the city and a mob forms and you have something like a riot. And what does the mob say? Listen to their impression of what Paul is saying. These men, Paul and Silas, are turning the world upside down. They're defying Caesar's decrees and saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. So the people of Thessalonica think of these claims as political claims. They're not really political claims, prima facie. They're not about Paul trying to ascend to Caesar's throne, but he is proclaiming a different king. But the power that Paul brings, the power that it creates the uproar is the power of witness, the power of pointing to the true king and his true authority. So that doesn't mean that we as Christians don't seek positions of influence in politics and culture, in the arts, in science, or whatever the institutions of society you want to name. It's just that when we get to those positions of influence, and let me be clear, it's better to be in a position of influence than to not, right? It is better to have cultural influence than to not. But when we get to those positions of influence, 
The power we have in those positions is the power of witness to the king. So if you're in law or politics, you witness to his justice and his law and his ways. If you're in medicine, you witness to his compassion and his care and his deep valuation for all life, including the weakest. If you're in science, you witness to the way he has constructed this world and the beauty of his design and the goodness of human, human curiosity and inquisition. If you are in business, you witness to the fruitfulness of this good earth and the goodness of work and the goods and services that can be produced when we are creative with his good world. If you're in a position of earthly power, that's great. But your influence and in the kingdom's coming does not depend on you holding that position of power. It depends on your faithfulness to the witness. And if you look in the book of Acts, sometimes the apostles, when they bring the good news, are in a position of influence. Like right at the beginning, huge crowds are showing up in Jerusalem, coming to hear them speak, thousands at a time. Everyone speaks well of them. They're in a position of influence. What do they do? They witness. Other times, everybody hates them, and they're in jail. What do they do? They witness. The work of the church is not about, if we were to lose our place of influence in society, which we kind of are right now, right? If we start to lose our position in, in society, the goal of bringing the kingdom then is not to win back that influence at any cost by any means necessary. The goal of the kingdom, the call of his church, is whatever our position, to be faithful to witness. We are witnesses to the gospel, to the king. The second thing witness is not. Witness is not simply directed towards unbelievers. When we give witness, it's not just telling people who don't know about Jesus. That's definitely part of it, but it's more than that. Witness is something that is a fuller-bodied task of our human life. Witness is by our words and our deeds in every single place we go, showing the rule of the king and showing his light and glorifying his name through the way we behave and the way we speak. And that's not just with unbelievers. So in the book of Acts, you definitely see the apostles going to unbelievers and witnessing, telling them about Jesus. But you also see the apostles telling each other the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas come back from their missionary journeys and they come and they stand before the church and they give a report and tell of all the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit is doing among the Gentiles and the whole church is lifted up. The whole church glorifies God. So they witness to the church. Witness is not just to unbelievers. And when I say that, I'm not trying to minimize evangelism. Evangelism uh, needs more emphasis, not less in our society. But evangelism is only a subset of witness. Witness is bigger than that. Witness should be the quality of every Christian's life. Because here's the thing. God is not always easy to see. Especially if you're going through something really hard in your life, sometimes it's really hard for you to find God. 
So if you are in a position in your life where you've witnessed God do something in your life, where you've experienced the mighty work of God in your life, you ought not to keep that to yourself. You ought to share it with your brother or your sister or the world who's having a hard time seeing. Here's an example from my own life. About 15 years ago, um, I had an experience of, of God moving in my life in a really astonishing way. And I probably told this story with some of you before. But I was doing the work of visiting someone in the hospital who was in hospice. And he'd been in hospice for a little while. He was very gravely ill, so much to the point that he wasn't communicative anymore. And he'd already said his goodbyes to his family. His family had already said his goodbyes to him. He was lying in his bed. There were about 10 of us there. At the end of my visit, we gathered around. We joined hands. We started to pray. And I prayed that the Lord be with his family, give them comfort. And then at the end of my prayer, I said, and now, Lord, Walter's really struggling. Please, Lord, take him into your presence. He's ready. And at the moment we prayed those words together, Walter breathed his last breath. It was like God reached down into that room and lifted a veil, right? When we looked up from that prayer, everybody looked at each other with wide eyes, like God had been in that place. For me, that is an important moment in my life when I'm feeling discouraged, when I'm tired, when I'm full of anxiety about the future. I look back on that moment and I say, no, don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. He's shown that to you. It's a point of contact for me. And I guess, why would I keep that to myself? Why wouldn't I share that with other people? This moment for me is like a piece of bread that I can come back to and I can keep eating spiritual bread that gives me food, that keeps me going. Why wouldn't I share that bread with other people? Why wouldn't I share it with you? Now that has to be done in an appropriate way, obviously, right? I can't just sort of walk up to people and tell this story. It's, it's an intimate story, right? It's very personal, but in the right place, in the right conversation to share it. Witness. We all have stories. They may not be as spectacular as the one I just told. They can be really plain. It can be something as simple as, when I was going through my hard time, this Bible verse, this Bible verse just held me. When my life is a mess, my time with God every morning, my prayer, that's the only thing that keeps me sane. That's a testimony, right? It's, it's not fancy, but if you were to take that simple testimony and share it with a grandchild or get in front of a bunch of third graders in a church school class and tell them that or tell it to your neighbor in an appropriate conversation, you are giving them bread. You witness. Which brings me to the third and final thing that witness is not. Witness is not the work of experts. It does not take special skill. Sometimes we feel that if we're going to witness to other people, we're going to talk to other people, we've got to have all the answers. And I know how this goes in your head, right? Because it goes this way in my head too. You think to yourself, how can I tell my neighbor about Jesus? Because what if I try to like say something about Jesus and they come back at me with some objection? Like, 
don't you tell me about a good God. My brother died when he was five and I prayed for him and nothing happened. So I don't want to hear about God. What if they say something like that to me? I won't have an answer for it and I'll feel dumb. I'm just going to leave that, that witnessing stuff to smarter people. A couple things here. First of all, people almost never do that, okay? 99% of the time, people do not come back at you with philosophical objections. People listen politely and often with deep interest to what's in your heart. And second, even if they do come back at you this way, your job as a witness is not to give a sophisticated theological response. Your job as a witness is to simply say, what you saw, what you feel. This is what I saw. This is what I feel. This is the Jesus who helped me. You're a witness. In a court, right? A witness doesn't have to prosecute the case. A witness doesn't have to bring a conviction. All the witness does is sit in the witness stand and say what they saw. This is what I saw. This is what I feel. That's the man who saved me. Jesus did not tell the disciples that they would be his apologists in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Witnesses. Just witnesses. That's all you got to do. If you see something, say something. Who, to continue the analogy, the courtroom analogy, who is the prosecuting attorney? Whose job is it to bring the conviction? The Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 7 and 8. The Holy Spirit is called the advocate, the lawyer who will convict the world of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job to finish the job. All you got to do is witness. As I put this sermon together last week and reflected on witness, I thought about how other people's witness has affected my own life and the power that witness has had to form me over the years. And there's all kinds of people that the Holy Spirit has used. My parents, obviously who raised me in the church, my mother telling me the story about how 14 when she was a switchboard operator at the Brampton Hospital, she was listening in the middle of the night to Billy Graham's sermons and it cut her to the heart. Some older kids in my youth group who came back from a young people's convention and told us all about how wonderful it was and they were so excited in the moment but what especially impressed me is that the moment lasted, their lives really did change. The witness of Christian authors, people like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, who helped give me a Christian imagination. The witness of great saints of the past, like Mother Teresa, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Martin Luther King, people who stood up for their faith in hard times. The witness of church school teachers. I can't remember a single lesson from any one of them, but I tell you what I do remember. I remember them trying to teach me and I remember their prayers afterwards, which just let me know that they were ordinary people like me trying to find the face of Jesus. The witness of a hundred ordinary saints whose funerals I've conducted. Men and women, when you stand at their funeral and hear their whole life, you realize they've lived through incredibly hard times and have kept seeking the face of Jesus. I have been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses 
who've shown me the face of Jesus. And I'll bet that if you reflect on your life, you have been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses like that who have shown you the face of Jesus. Without their witness, you would not be sitting here. The power of witness used by the Holy Spirit, surrounding us every day, showing us Jesus, the world's true king, and the hope of all our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for the story of your salvation, which is ongoing in our life. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you show yourself in the lives of believers and the lives of his church, sometimes in enormous ways that are miraculous, but so often just in small, faithful ways. Pray, Lord, that you will keep our eyes open to all the ways you work in our lives and then that you will open our mouths and our hearts so that we can share our witness with the world. In Christ's name I pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.